really glad that you're here. Um, this, is, uh, this will be the, now not just here, but across all the campuses with all that we did, this, can, this will be the 19th service over the weekend. So it's been a busy weekend. Before I do anything else, to coordinate this, to pull off everything. I mean, even think about the snow Wednesday, how much snow we got. It's sometimes, I'm just my last service, let me just talk for a second. Sometimes I connect my faith to the weather. Like, God, don't you realize how important this weekend is? And, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't do that. But, you know, the coordination of even just moving the snow off the property so that the parking spaces are open. Uh, in particular, you know, Seth Piper spent all, um, most of his night Friday till like 11.30 over here moving snow. It's a funny story. One of the neighbors, and I would have done the same thing, so it's not like a, a jab. But one of the neighbors, after 11, called. And um, when you call the church after hours, you get an emergency number that if it's life-threatening, hey, call this number. And so the guy was like, I'm going to threaten your life. So he called the, the number. And uh, Seth, the guy moving the snow, it's the associate here on this campus, happened to also have the emergency phone with him. So the guy calls, Seth answers. And the guy goes, I don't know who's doing it. And I get it, but you guys have to stop. It's after 11. And Seth goes, sir, I'll make a call and put a stop to this for you right away. <laughs> so I, <laughs> that's the behind the scenes. But I wanted to thank everybody uh, man, so many volunteers and so many of the pastors and just Marcus and Amy, the way they've organized it, uh, they, they just deserve props. And would you put your hands together and just thank the people that make this possible for us. They honestly, above and beyond what I could, what I could ask for. Uh, it was an interesting week. Obviously, um, we, we prepare for, for bigger weekends like this. And uh, I had an interesting call. A guy is just like, I need this from you, but I know it's busy. Do you have time to do it? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And it led to a conversation about, you know, what I do during the week. And then Pastor Terry and I got in a conversation and we thought, you know, depending on who the person is, they probably have a different opinion about what a pastor does. So Terry went home, put together this whole slideshow of depending on who you are, uh, this is how you would see what I do. So here's what other pastors in the community think I do uh, all week long. <laughs> Just kind of play golf. Uh, here's what people in my church think I do all week long. You like that big Bible right there? Uh, here's what some people who don't know think I do all week long. We took a chance with that one right there. Uh, here's what my wife thinks I do all week long right there. Here's what CNN thinks I do all week long. <laughs> That's actually my hair, by the way. Uh, here's what I think I do all week long. Very grandiose in my mind of what it actually looks like. Here's what my mom thinks I do all week long. <laughs> and what do I really do all week long in preparation? It looks like that. It's meetings all week long. So uh, again, I'm really glad that you're here. Going to finish our Easter series. And so let me, um, I'll, I'll do this as quickly as possible so I can get to the, to the meat of the message. Um, we call our, our message the Four Cups. And it comes from the Passover celebration, which is actually the longest continual celebration uh, in the world. It's more than 4,000 years old. We find it in the Old Testament. Uh, here's what I think it represents and what I've been teaching. You'll find a scripture in Exodus, and I'll read it in a second. And it's God himself promising his people. And every time he makes a promise, he uses the term, I will. In the Passover celebration, there are four times where God says, I will. They're actually represented by four cups of wine that if you're keeping the Passover, you would drink from each cup of the wine. And here's the reason why. God doesn't want us just to know about it in our head. We're supposed to partake of it, to bring it into our lives. So the wine and the bread represent partaking. Now Jesus, 
On his last night on the face of the earth, Jesus is actually celebrating the Passover. And when he comes to the fourth cup, which is the one we'll teach about this weekend, he does something really unique and really unusual, and we'll get there in just a second. So, Pastor, why teach from the Old Testament and teach about Jesus from the New Testament? Here's what I think. I think the Old Testament and the New Testament are very symbiotic. I think that they match up exceptionally well. But I think you have to see Jesus when you look at the Old Testament. Because if you read them, they, they get... Uh, kind of, they're not joined together well, but if you can see Jesus as the fitting of those things, the Old Testament makes even more sense. And here's the truth. The Bible says that the Old Testament is a type and a shadow, like a forecast, but Jesus is the fulfillment or the reality of these things. So Jesus becomes to us what is taught from the Old Testament. So I'm teaching on the four cups. Here's what I think the four cups are. I think they're the four core promises from God to everybody. Now, I say everybody, but I would make this thought. God sends an invitation out to everybody, but only people who say yes to the invitation uh, get to participate. Does that make sense? So like if I was going to have a party and I sent an invitation to everybody in our church, only the people who respond to it would actually participate in the party. So God has made this available to everybody, but it's only those who say yes to it that get to participate in it. So I'll read the scripture, I'll comment on what the promises are, and then we'll get to what we're talking about today. So it's Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Remember, every time you see I will, it represents a cup, and I think it's a core promise of God. So I'll comment, Uh, I am the Lord, first promise, I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians. That first cup Uh, In the Passover, it's called the cup of sanctification. Our word for sanctification today is simply salvation. So God's first core promise for all people is that he promises salvation for those who want to participate. But in my teaching, what I think we've done, especially in Western Christianity, we have dumbed down the word salvation to mean this. Fill in the sentence for me, okay? When I die, I'll go to... I hope more than 10 of you are going... So let's try that again. The answer, here's the key... Heaven, and when I get there, you say it, okay? When I die, I'm going to? Awesome, all right. (laughs) You'll get there first, whoever, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. So here's the thought. Look, I'm not saying that heaven is not important. Heaven, heaven's the ultimate reality that God has for us. It's, 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 it's it. Please don't misunderstand me. Here's what I'm saying, though. Uh, people see salvation as just simply a ticket out of hell or, or an opportunity to go to heaven. Salvation is so much more encompassing than that. John 10, this is what Jesus said. I came to bring life eternal and abundant life here and now. So here's a definition of salvation. Salvation's not a ticket to heaven. Salvation is an all-encompassing work that God does in your life today and that you also get to participate in for eternity. Does that make sense? So God has so much more for you than just simply, okay, when I die, I'm gonna go to heaven. He has a life for you now worth living. All right, the second promise then sounds like the first, but there's a little twist on it. So the first one, I'll bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians and second promise, I will deliver you from their bondage. Sounds like just semantics. I'll set you free from their their slavery and I'll bring you out from their bondage. All right, here's what I think it means. God is saying, I'll bring you out of Egypt, but I'll also get Egypt out of you. And I think what this means, I I think it's the understanding that that you, you can be set free from slavery. You can be set free from bondage, but unless your heart changes, you can still think and act and talk like a slave. Does that make any sense? And I think where this would apply, you could find a person who loves God and their passport is stamped heaven because of the work of God, but their lives are so messed up here today because they don't participate in getting the, the renewed heart, the renewed life. They, they, don't, they, don't, uh, they don't end up drinking from the cup 
that God has for them. Now, let me, let me just stop here. Uh, my oldest granddaughter, nine years old, she has an iPad, and she uh, likes to FaceTime me whenever she wants to do that. I make time for it because I realize I've got a very small window that she'll actually want to FaceTime with her papa, right? So whenever she wants to do it, I'm like, you bet, let's FaceTime. So she, yesterday morning, I, I think this was the Lord, she uh, calls me, and we talk for a little while, and in the middle of it, she just said, she sat in the message, Greg, a couple of weeks ago, and she said, why were you so mad? Nine-year-old. And I said, honey, I wasn't mad. And she got up, she closed her door, she said, Papa, this is what you look like. How come no one's drinking from the second cup? <laughs> now, first of all, let me say, I'm not mad. But I do get intense and I'm passionate about what I say, right? Amen. Got it? So here's the, <laughs> here's the thought. If I come across strong, it's, I, think I, have a, a, I think I have a great distaste for people who never move beyond the idea of I'm going to heaven and don't live the life that God has for them now. And I, I, I can't want that for you more than you want that for you. Yeah. Does that make sense? And if I get passionate about it, man, don't mistake passion for anger. They're two separate things. And I'm really, I'm happy to be teaching this. All right, let me give you the third promise here. So I'll bring you out from under slavery. Uh, I'll deliver you from their bondage. Third promise, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Uh, that cup is simply called the cup of redemption. We would call it restoration. God's promise in that is to actually bring us back to the original point of creation, why he put us here in the first place. So I said it this way, the two best days of your life, the day you were born, and then the day you figure out why you were born. And here's God's promise, I'll give you a purpose for your life. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know why we're here? Not just going through the motions, not just making a living, but what is it, God? What do you have for me? That is his promise. Uh, and then to the fourth one, the one we'll talk about today, uh, begins this way. I will take you to me for a people. So he promises that uh, he, he will make us his people. He will be our God. Uh, 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 he will make a people group out of us. So I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And then this sentence, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So I'm gonna talk about then the last cup is called the cup of praise. And I think the word we would use today if we got the full understanding from the Hebrew of what praise is, I think it means um, uh, to, to, to be fulfilled. I think that if you understand God's ultimate aim for your life, if you understand all the work that he's done for you, all, all of what Jesus has done, then the last thing that there is to do is just to simply live in what God's done for us. It's a fulfilling thing, and it's the reason that we should actually give him praise. So in other words, maybe the, the easiest way to say it is this. If you get what God's done, then you really should get the opportunity to praise God, if that makes any sense to you right there. So this is the cup of praise. Uh, let me just ask real quick, have fun. Why do you think they call the fourth cup the cup of praise? Because if you had three cups of wine, by the time you got to the fourth one, you'd be pretty happy. <laughs> oh, this is serious business. You can't say, I just said it. Here we go. All right. So I think they call it the cup of praise because I think it's the opportunity for God's people to realize what God's done for them. And if we get what he's done, then the only thing that's left to do on our part is just simply to praise him. So let me give you three reasons why we praise God. The first one just comes right from the scripture. God promises to be our God. He promises to be our God, but let me explain this to you because it's not as simple as God just saying, I want this to happen. There was a problem between us and God and it was called sin. And it comes from actually the fall of man and I'll just prove to you that people sin. How many of you in this room have sinned? And if you're not raising your hand, you are sinning right this second. So, so we, look, now the, the big issue becomes this. So pastor, every sin is the same. No, I'm not saying that. So a lie is not murder. But let's reverse that. If the goal is perfection and God is perfect, then even a lie misses the mark. Do you agree? Yeah. 
Even a lie becomes a problem. Uh, they're different issues, but ultimately, all of us have sinned. All of us have gone our own way. All of us have done our own thing. And here then becomes the problem. It's not as simple as God just saying, I want to be your God. Something has to be fixed. How does he fix it? I got in a conversation with a guy about a month ago. Uh, guy is not a believer. It wasn't a combative conversation. It wasn't an argument. Uh, it was a legitimate conversation. I'm talking to this guy. He's talking to me. And he just makes this comment. Uh, and I thought it was worthy of a good answer. And so the guy says to me, um, how do you reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament? So you say he's the same God, but when I read the Old Testament, it seems like God was mad and angry. In fact, he used this word, it seemed like God was violent. That's what he said. He said, but in the New Testament, God seems so kind and merciful. Is he the same God? What Why the difference? It deserves a good answer. I, I, I thought about that. How would I answer that question if I could sit and really think about it? And here, here's what I would say. If the Old Testament's a type and a shadow and Jesus is the fulfillment of those things, here's how I then would look at that question. The God of the Old Testament is the God you and I would have dealt with if Jesus hadn't gotten in the way and fixed what was wrong between us and God. That is the God we would, thank you, whoever you are over there. I appreciate the, yes. You know, that's the only woo-woo I got all weekend long. <laughs> And I'm going to leave here happy with that woo-woo right there. I don't know who you were, but I, I bless you, man. <laughs> woo-woo right back to you. Uh, that, that, the God that you read about in the Old Testament, well, it, God, God is not schizophrenic where he was just this different personality, then he's a different one now. The truth of the matter is there was something separating us from him. And in order to be truly holy and to be truly just, God can't look at our sin and wink like nothing happened. Something has to take care of what was wrong. And Jesus is the something. So that when we look at the New Testament, it's the same God, but the reason he treats us different is because Jesus made peace between us and God. Let me give you an example. James, you'll like this one because it goes all the way back to our childhood when you and I were just young men. And you were still young, but I wasn't as much. So, yeah, this, 32 years ago. So 1983, December, Chris and I got married. So we've had our 32nd anniversary recently, our first Easter together, four months after we get married. Now, I'm a new believer, young in my faith, and I had a bit of a past. Now, here's the thing. You can have a new life in Christ, but sometimes your past can still come back and haunt you. You agree with that statement? Okay. Chris is volunteer at our church, so she leaves Easter Sunday morning to go volunteer at the church, and I'm supposed to be there about an hour later. On my way to the church, in fact, right in front of the church, like if you left our parking lot today and you pulled out on Lone Tree Parkway, right there is how close I was to the church. A cop pulled me over Easter Sunday morning right in front of the church. <laughs> Were you the cop? Because I've been looking for you for 32... No, I... <laughs> so listen to this story. So the guy pulls me over and, and he comes up to the car and he goes, hey, you have an expired tag. And I thought, no big deal, he'll just give me a warning. But he asked for my license and my proof of insurance. He goes back to his car. And I can see him coming back to the car ready to do business. He's not going to give me a warning. And he goes just like this, step out of the car. Let me give you the wrong answer. Why? That's not a good answer. The guy raises his voice and he said, I said, step out of the car. So I get out of the car. He goes, you have a ticket that you haven't paid. And there's a bench warrant for your arrest. And I'm taking you to jail right now. And I'm like, it's Easter. <laughs> And a guy put me in handcuffs. And my in-laws, my new in-laws, drive out of the church right then. It's kind of like, hey. hey. <laughs> it's true. True story. All right. This is in Lakewood. 
brings me to the police station in Lakewood, handcuffs me to a table, and he says it's a $100 cash bond for you to leave today, and if you can't get it, you're going to spend the night in jail. Well, of course, I'm in a panic. Now, remember, this is 32 years ago. This is back when we didn't have cell phones. We had to chisel things in stone to get it out to people. Remember how long ago that was? So, of course, I'm in a panic, like trying to call people. Nobody's answering. They're all at church. Well, after a couple of hours, I know my wife has to be home, so I'm calling the home. She won't answer the phone because she thinks I ditched church on Easter, and she won't get the phone. So the guy's going, you got 30 more minutes, and I'm booking you into jail. I'm like, please, please. So I finally get a hold of a friend, comes down with $100, bails me out of jail. Okay, listen to this. Two weeks later, I'm in church, and three rows in front of me is the cop who arrested me. What would you do? Tell me what you do. It's like attack him while he's not looking. Would you avoid him? My first instinct was to avoid him. Like I'm leaving the church. I'll never confront this guy. But I thought that it's not the way to handle this. I just need to go up to him. So I walk up to him, put my hand out, shakes my hand. I say, hey, do you remember me? With a smile on his face, he goes, yeah, I arrested you two weeks ago. <laughs> like he knew I went to the church. And he just, like, listen. Listen, was the cop like having a bad week two weeks ago and he was angry and he was distorted and he decided to take it out on me and now two weeks later, he's a nice guy. The truth is he was the same cop then as he was now. Here was the problem. The law was between he and I. And until the law gets taken care of, there can't be the relationship that they're supposed to be. He actually becomes one of my good friends at the church. And when I get into ministry, I have his kids in my youth ministry and I punish them. No, I, <laughs> I, I, it's a relationship that even till this day, I have a relationship with the guy. How does it apply? God was not some psychopath. He was not having a bad millennial. He was not angry and upset. The law stood between us and him. The law is called sin. And this is what the Bible says. Jesus took the handwriting of offense that was against us and nailed it to his cross, removing it out of the way so that all that's left, if you want it, is a relationship with God. And what that means is every sin you committed yesterday and every sin you'll commit today, be careful when you leave the parking lot, and every sin that you'll commit for the rest of your life, Jesus has already died for it. Do you believe that? He's already nailed it to his cross. All that's left is for you to say to yourself whether or not you want to be reconciled. This is important. People tend to think, well, if God did that, then everybody gets it right. No, reconciliation is a two-party issue. The party, number one, says, I want relationship with you, but a relationship takes two people, yes or no? You have to say, I want relationship with you too. If you turn your back on a person who does this, there's no relationship, no matter what the offer is. And this is how God stands today. This is not about joining a church, getting religion, becoming good. This is about whether or not you accept an invitation that God offers. Do you want to be reconciled? He's not asking you to deal with your sin. You couldn't. Jesus did it. Now, let me prove it to you from Scripture. A Romans, when Paul writes this to the church in Rome, in two verses, he succinctly puts together what Jesus has done for us and what it means with the Father. Therefore, since we have been made, what's the word? right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Look at this. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege 
where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Here's what he's saying. We can have confidence and joy when we stand before God because we have peace with him based on what Jesus did in our lives, if you believe. If you believe. Somebody goes, is it really just that simple? All you have to do is believe. When it comes to salvation, it's exactly that simple for this reason. God never wanted your work to get involved with Jesus's work. They stand separate from each other. The work that Jesus did is his work. God wanted it to be complete. And all he wants from you is to put your trust that Jesus did this and believe. What about all the stuff that comes after? That's all the stuff that comes after. Never mix it with the simple belief that God loves you and has made a way possible for you to have a relationship with him. So that's the first reason why we could praise him is simply because he becomes our God. But the second part, here's what he says. I will take you to me for a people. So he'll become our God, but we become his people. Let me, let me just throw this out to you. I don't simply think God's talking this relationship this way. I think he means the relationship this way, that he unites us together in community with each other. Now I'm going to use something outside of the Bible right now, and I'm only going to do it to prove a point. Any of you that took a 101 psychology class your freshman year in college, my sons told me they actually learned this in high school. My high school didn't teach it. My college did. Uh, it's called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Have you ever heard of that right there? You ever tell, yeah, many, many people have. Some of you are raising your hand because you don't want to like be the one that didn't know what it, what it was. So a guy lived in the 40s and he wrote, uh, he, he just studied uh, people and he, and he just came up with the five basic things that people need to survive. So, so like one of them is people need food. You agree with that? And people need shelter. Agree with that? Uh, one of them is that people need love. They, 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 just the basic, here's what he came up with. Here's what people need to survive. And then about 30 years later, after he studied people for that much longer, he revised his basic needs, his hierarchy, and he came up with three more. And here's the number eight, the top level of living life, according to Maslow. Here's what he says. When people move beyond just surviving day to day. So I would say it this way. When you move beyond, I got to get a better car. When you move beyond, I gotta get a better house. When you move beyond, you know, for first, first world problems, uh, they don't have my favorite dessert at the restaurant. When you move beyond just the, just the day-to-day grind stuff, the highest level of living, according to Maslow, is when people are connected together to do things that they can't do by themselves. When they're able to change the world, when they're able to, to, to make something greater, ha- when they live for more than themselves. That's the highest level of living, according to this guy. And I think God is saying the same thing. Let me give you a demonstration. You know the Lord's Prayer? Three of us know the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) So I'm going to get cooperation from you, and I can take as long as you tell me when you want to go home. Do you know the Lord's Prayer? (laughs) You're ready to go now. Okay. So, thought you were getting, we're going to say it out loud together and I'm gonna stop you, and I'm gonna prove to you that the highest level of living is when you live beyond just survival. So say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. Okay, now this is Jesus teaching us to pray. And here's what Jesus said God's will is, that heaven would come to earth. So here's my question to you. How does heaven ever get to earth? Does God take lightning bolts of heaven and roll them towards the earth and they explode with heaven on the earth? 
Some be, just tell, how does heaven get to earth? Talk, tell me. When God's people move beyond survival and they're connected in community with each other, we can look at this world and understand what it looks like when we see people who are tormented. When we see people who are mistreated, when we see people who aren't eating, when we see people who aren't taken care of, when we see each other hurting, if you get heaven on earth connected to a group of people who get this, we could change what the earth looks like. Instead of leaving it in the hands of a bunch of people who have no idea what God wants. God's people, think of what the church could be. Think of what could happen if people were connected with the idea, man, together God's got so much more than just surviving. A better car, a better lunch, better clothes. There's so much more. Think about it. What could it be like? And How does it happen? I'm telling you, it's in connection with people who get what it's supposed to look like that you can do more. And here's what God is saying. He'll connect us this way vertically, but he wants to connect us this way horizontally. Does that make any sense? So I'll say it this. If you go to our church and you're not in community, you're missing the whole point of why we go to church. And if you don't go to our church and you need community, come here. We'd love to connect you. But if this isn't it for you, then I'm begging you, find community someplace because you're not living until you hit that place in life and you don't even know what you don't know. You don't even know. Let me give you the last one. It's the third reason why we can praise, why it's called the cup of praise. Uh, this one is a little bit of like um, a pastor wanting to teach something. The, the third cup, the cup of praise in the Hebrew is called the Hallel. I don't expect you to know Hebrew, but I bet you know the word and you just don't even know you know the word. We sang it a few minutes ago. Can you think of any word that we sang that sounds like Hallel? Hallelujah. hallelujah. Very good. The hallelujah. The word hallelujah means to praise God, but it doesn't mean to praise him like the golf clap. Yay, God. It means to praise him like, yes, God. And the people who get what God's done for them should be in a position to be passionate about what God's done so that we live a life of hallelujah. Does that make any sense? We should live. Now, some of you are going to go, well, I, I didn't go to that church when I was raised. That's too bad. You should have because this is scripture. This is not preference. And if you're in a position now where you're just like, I just don't have that much to be thankful for, then maybe you don't get what God's done for you. Maybe you're not drinking of this cup and participating with what God wants. Remember I mentioned the beginning of the message, the fourth cup was the cup that Jesus actually gave us communion on. Jesus, with the disciples on the last night on this earth, shares the cup, the Passover, and when he comes to the fourth cup, he says, this is now the new covenant in my blood. You guys participate, drink this, and eat this. And then Jesus says the, the I mean, you could, you could miss this if you don't understand. Matthew 26, 29, after the supper's over, but before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he says this, mark my words, I will not drink wine or this cup, this fourth cup again, until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what does that mean? So here's what heaven's gonna look like. God is preparing a feast right now. An invitation has gone out to eternity. Eternity is not some cloud where you play a harp and eat a few grapes. Eternity is beyond your wildest imagination. God totally intends to fulfill you, to satisfy you, 
Heaven will be above and beyond what you could possibly think and hope for, but it begins with this great banquet. Let me give you a great identification. I, I talked about this a few months ago. Uh, James, you and I will relate on this one again. Carrie, you know. Uh, we, we do missions all over the world. I, I'm so proud of what we do, but there's one place that has captured my heart like no other, and it's in Peru. We deal with orphans in Peru. John, you've done such a good job. Rebecca, you've put together such an awesome missions opportunity for people in our church. In Peru, it's, I grew up without a dad, and, and that lack of having a dad makes me compassionate for other kids who don't have fathers. And Peru has tens of thousands of throwaway kids. I never realized. And I got down there, and I saw what was going on, and we've become involved. Here's where I spend some of your money. We support a lot of orphans. We feed them, and we clothe them, and we try to go beyond the idea of just survival education how do we break a cycle of poverty so that this stops for the next generation, not just keep them in a place where it can repeat itself? One of the greatest things that happened to me my last trip down there, James and I were down hanging out and we had gone separate ways and I ended up with about 60 orphans playing soccer on these two big buses. And as we leave the soccer field to come back home, we're gonna stop at an all-you-could-eat buffet. Now you and I are gonna pass two or three on the way home, but they've never been to one. Can you imagine what that was like? And before I could organize these kids, the doors open and they're gone. I'm at the end of the line. Now imagine a buffet where people are dressed in their Sunday best and they're in order and all of a sudden 60 little ragamuffin kids who are dirty and, I mean, clothes twice as big as they are. They just hit the line. And here's what, they, wherever there was a gap in between people, they hit the line, moved in front of the well-dressed people, pushed them back so that they could eat the buffet. And these kids started loading their plates down like, this may be the last meal I ever have like this. And I mean, this kid, he's got spaghetti, chicken's falling off of it, meatball. He, he comes out of the line with this, and everybody's looking at him, and he's just like, ah, and he walks up to me with this plate of food and through an interpreter, he just says, sir, do you think this is what heaven will be like? I said, that's exactly what heaven's gonna be like. There's a banquet that is so overflowing and it is so full and God intends to bring you to the table if you want a place at the table. Sound too good to be true? It is but it's true. Here's my question to you. I'll end it right here with this. What will you do with so great a salvation? Will you ignore it? Would you put it off? Would you say it doesn't matter? Or if you're offered this invitation, what would you do with it? And again, hear me right now. I'm not asking you to come to church. I'm not asking you to dress nice, be better. I'm asking you what you want to do about the invitation that God offers. Do you want to say yes? Jesus told the story this way, that about this banquet, it's called the marriage supper of the lamb. He's the groom and his people are the bride. And at some point in history, the two things will consummate in heaven. And Jesus taught that his father sent out invitations first to the biggest and the greatest. And then Jesus says that some of them looked at the invitation and ignored it. Some of them said, I'm just too busy and I can't do anything about it. So the father decided to send the invitation into the highways and the byways and to invite the least of these, the ones who really 
had no opportunity to make it to the table. And here's what the story means. Whosoever will can come to this table. Whosoever will. Do you want to go to the table? Do you want to be a part of that family? You want to say yes to God? It's really what it comes down to. Father, I just want to take a moment right now to just facilitate that issue for people between you and them. So guys, listen real quick. I know um, eyes closed and you're just praying and I want you to stay in that position, but just listen to me. This isn't for me. I'm not asking you to do this for me. And I'm not asking you if you want to join church. And I'm not asking you if you want to get religion. I'm asking you if you want to say yes to this invitation. It's just that simple. There's no other addendum. There's no other agenda. Do you want to say yes to God? Now, I'm not going to embarrass you and I'm not going to ask you to stand up and no one's going to come and do anything to you. But I am going to ask you for a response. So I'll just phrase it in this sentence. God sends an invitation out right now asking you if you want to be in relationship with him. Maybe you have 10,000 questions about that. That's okay, but you can still make a decision whether or not you want to say yes to the invitation. So I'm asking right now, for those of you who hear in your heart, that's what I want. For those of you who the light goes on and you get it, if you just say, Pastor, remember me when you pray today because I want to say yes to that invitation. Would you just raise your hand up right now? Say, Pastor, pray for me. Remember me. You bet. All over. Yep, 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 yep. I see you. I see you. You can put them back down. All right, here's the way I'll facilitate this. Rather than me pray for you, I'm going to ask that we all just pray together. So I'm going to have everybody do this. Just join with me and follow me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for being merciful, for your grace, and for your life. I put my trust in you. Thank you for taking care of what's broken between us. I believe in Jesus' name. Now look at me. If it seems oversimplified to you, I intentionally kept everything else out of it to say this. Salvation should never be mixed with any work that you do. It should be based on what Jesus did and Jesus alone. And if you simply believe that God loved you and put Christ here to take your place, then all you need to do is say yes to God on that. What about all the other stuff? Don't ever mix it with this simple part of salvation. The other stuff is the other stuff. God will talk to you about all those things. But keep this thing separate. It's just pure and it's holy. The work that Jesus has done for us is based on you now saying, yes, I believe and trusting God. And it really is that simple. Happy Easter to each of you. I pray you have an awesome weekend. I pray your teams win this weekend if you're still in the... No one watches basketball. Go Broncos. <laughs> I got two words for you. Mark Sanchez. Yeah. Love you all. Pastor Marcus will dismiss you. <laughs>